<laughs> All righty. If everybody would get back in here and uh, we can start our worship services, I would appreciate it. We have a prayer shawl this morning for Carol and Richard Norton. We're going to pass around. If you guys will, please take a few moments and pray over that as it goes around. Um, visitors, if you're here, we are honored by your visits this morning. If you will, there's a uh, sheet in front of you in the pew. If you would take it and fill it out and put it in the offering plate as it comes by or put it in the brown box back there, we'd appreciate it. And uh, let us pray over our church in the services this morning. Ushers, if you will, go ahead and come forward. And as you're coming forward, we will pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning to worship you, to give honor and praise to you. And we pray that you would just watch over us right now over the next few moments, that you'll be with us, that you will have your hand on our services and speak to hearts. Continue to watch over us and thank you for everything you've done. In your name we pray, amen. Just want to say one quick shout out and a thank you to Tony McMaster's for putting together our CPR class yesterday. It was great. About 25 of you were here, and I appreciate everybody that was here to help protect other people and to be a first responder to help other people out in need. Thank you. 
aren't you thankful that we can always run to Jesus, we can go to him when we're thirsty and weak, but when we're lost, when we don't know where we are, sometimes maybe we don't feel like we know where he is, he hasn't moved, but sometimes we lose our bearings, and aren't you thankful that when we are lost, he comes and finds us, he comes to us, he is God with us, Emmanuel, and blessed be his name. Darkness seems to hide. 
a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built on our foundation, Jesus Christ.
seated. Thank you, team. If you guys will, we're going to have a special speaker for a few moments. Rachel Connolly, if you will, go ahead and come up. I think uh, the mic is... Right you got it. You got it. She is with um, uh, Growing Hope Globally, with, uh, and Jim Elwell talked to you guys about that last week a little bit, and she's going to go ahead and finish up what Jim was talking about. So if you give her your attention, I'd appreciate it. Rachel Connolly. Good morning. Thanks for having me here this morning, and thank you um, for your support for Growing Hope Globally this month and, and um, beyond. Um, just quick introduction. I'm from Holland, Michigan, and um, I've worked for Growing Hope Globally for almost six years now. Um, so Growing Hope is a Christian response to world hunger. So as a Christian response to hunger, we link the grassroots energy and commitment of agricultural communities around the world with the capability and desire of smallholder farmers in developing countries to grow lasting solutions to hunger. That's our mission statement, but what does that all mean? So here in the United States, we work through what we call growing projects. And um, Jim Elwell has been part of one of those for many years. Help with the slides, please. <laughs> um, um, so, growing projects look a lot of different ways. They can involve crops, animals, any type of crops. But basically, the model is that donations are gathered. So that could be donations of land use, um, farmers' time and use of their equipment, fertilizer, seed. Um, all those donations are gathered together. Next slide, please. Um, people work together to grow a crop or raise animals. They harvest and sell that crop here in the U.S. And then um, they choose a program around the world to help with those funds. So um, the neat thing is that everyone can contribute something, whether it's your church kicking in for some of the fertilizer costs or it's um, just supporting us directly. But everyone's able to do their part, and it multiplies far beyond what just giving a gift individually would look like. So a lot of times we see um, four or five times multiplication by everyone contributing toward that growing project. Um, next slide, please. We currently work in 20 different states with growing projects, and we have about 164 of them across the US. Michigan has the most, so good job, Michigan. <laughs> um, and then, as I mentioned, we use the funds that are raised through those growing projects, um, including this long-standing one here, which is our second largest in the United States. Um, and we use those funds to support agricultural development programs around the world. So helping smallholder farmers in communities where people are hungry in rural areas help themselves through agriculture. Next slide, please. So, just a little bit on the challenge of hunger. 10.7% of the people in the world live on less than $1.90 a day. 820 million people struggle with hunger and malnutrition, one in nine around the world. And about 80% of those people aren't necessarily living in the cities like you might think. They're living in rural areas and um, are sometimes distant from good sources of food. So we work with, um, Part, trusted partner organizations and um, their local partners in developing countries. We focus on food security, so helping people have access to food, um, make sure it's readily availability, and make sure that they're utilizing it in the best way. And then we support community-driven local solutions. So we don't want to hand out food. We want to make sure that people are helping themselves so that it's a long-term thing, not just food for today, but food for a lifetime. Um, next slide. We work with partner organizations from a variety of different Christian denominations and Christian organizations, and they're the ones working on the ground to implement these programs. Um, and we work currently in 28 countries, and we have 43 programs around the world. Next slide, please. So that you can see some of the countries where we work. And next slide. we. Um, Last year, we celebrated 20 years. We were founded as Foods Resource Bank. That's our old name. Um, we switched it about a year and a half ago. And over those 20 years, we've served over 2 million people, so helping that many people help themselves. 
And we're really grateful for the efforts of the local growing project um, that Jim has been a part of, and maybe some of the rest of you as well. That one has been around since 2002. Sorry, next slide. Um, they've raised $1.6 million, and it costs only about $55 to help one person, $11 a year, about five years in one of these programs. So they've helped 29,598 people become food secure. That's, that's huge. Just to give you an idea, the population of Battle Creek is 51,286. So that's about two-thirds, or yeah, five, or yeah, never mind, I'm not gonna do the math. <laughs> Struggling. Um, anyway, a big, a big percentage of the local population here. So I just wanna tell you about two of those people this morning and just share some of the opportunities. I have the opportunity to go to our programs in Asia a couple of times a year and visit people. So if you go to the next slide, um, this is rural Bangladesh. In Bangladesh, farmers grow mainly rice, and while their bellies are full, they lack proper nutrition because um, they're, they're just eating a lot of rice in their diet, but they don't have access to a lot of vegetables in their area. 74% of the population depends on agriculture for their livelihoods, but about 40% of the population is malnourished. Um, over, the half, over half of the children are stunted due to a lack of good nutrition in the first thousand days of their life. So that's from conception till age two, and we look at that a lot. In this area, most people are conservative Muslims, which means that the men go out of their house and work, but the women mainly stay home, and it's pretty limited what women are allowed to do. But this is all changing thanks to this program. Um, women and men are meeting in separate self-help groups, and they're giving each other um, loans. They're saving a small amount of money each week, giving each other loans, but they're also learning lessons about health um, and agriculture. They're learning about nutrition, and then they're looking at their seasonal calendar and what they're able to grow at different times of the year, and they're trying to make sure that they have all of the major food groups in their diet every every single day of the year based on things that they are growing locally. So really looking at things in a different way. And for the first time, women are growing vegetables. Um, I'm at, um, next slide. This is Angora Akter. She and her husband are both part of those self-help groups. And um, she's growing chickens. They were out for the day, so that's just her chicken coop. But um, that was helping her family with eggs. But she's also farming for the first time. Those are some um, gourds that will eventually go over all those strings and hang down below. But her husband, first of all, gave her kind of a throwaway piece of land, said, oh, sure, you can try, try it. And she was very successful. So then he's like, OK, well, why don't you take that field over there, too? And how about this one? So when we visited her about a year ago, she was growing eggplant, um, gourds, a wide variety of things. And her husband was starting to respect her. And now she was able to contribute to her family's income. Um, they were able to feed their family throughout the year. And they didn't just have to depend on her husband's income as a day laborer anymore. And so it was changing their lives. And you may think, OK, well, that doesn't mean that they're coming to Christ. But the fact is, our local partner there is a Christian organization. and people are seeing the way that they are helping that community, and people are starting to think a little differently. Um, the next program I visited was just this past May in Nepal. Um, this program works in a really marginalized area, and um, a lot of, there's a lot of malnutrition there, too. So we work in three main areas. We work with mothers groups. We work with um, fish farmers and we work with people growing vegetables. This is one of the mothers' groups we visited, and um, they told us that they are learning how to better care for themselves during pregnancy. They're learning how to make a super flower that they give to their children as a porridge so it helps their children to no longer be malnourished, and then they're growing vegetables right by their houses to improve their family's diets as well. Um, they just said that they want their kids to be healthy and get an education so they can become teachers, doctors, and engineers. And isn't that 
what a lot of people want is for their kids to be healthy enough to have the brain power to do something positive for the world. We next visited a couple called Dinaswar and Sangeeta. I think that's the next photo. Oh, just kidding, that's one of the mothers. Um, the next photo is Dinaswar and Sangeeta. They had um, participated in vegetable growing as part of the program a few years ago, and they were doing really well. They had been completely landless when they started, but through um, being given a small plot of land to farm for three years, they had to pay more of the rent every year, um, and then toward the end they were paying all of the rent themselves, but they were able to make enough money through farming vegetables, selling them in a local market, and then using that income, they were able to buy some of their own land, and they had actually bought more land just recently, and um, they were able to send their kids to school, and their kids were going to school in an area in a nearby town, but they were, it was sort of a boarding school during the week. But he wanted to make sure that his kids had fresh vegetables. So twice a week he brings them vegetables at school. Um, they've more than doubled their annual income and they're really making a difference. No, their family no longer has to buy vegetables, they have plenty of their own vegetables. And so their family is doing well also. So those are just two examples like I mentioned, we have about 46 different programs around the world, and each of them is a little different. They're all focused on the local situation. But these are the types of differences that are being made around the world. So thank you for your support this month. Um, just a quick um, next slide, I believe, has a couple of opportunities to join us. You can participate in the local growing project with Jim, um, and he can definitely give you more information on that. Of course, you can give through your church. You can join our Hope Planter Monthly Giving Initiative. Our website, growinghopeglobally.org, has a lot of information on upcoming events. Um, and, and you can learn more about all of our programs. And then we also invite you to travel with us to see firsthand what's happening in the various countries that we work in. So we visit a few times a year. Here's a couple of the upcoming trips, and we hope that you'll be able to join us. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for having me here today, and we look forward to continuing to work together to help hungry people help themselves. Thank you. Well, if you can watch that video, you kind of know we're talking about parenting tonight or this morning. As we look through our passage, we're going to see that. And, and um, we're going to see that, do I get control of this? Or do I have, I'll let you guys do it. That's not working. And so in our passage, it says in Colossians 3.20, it's in, in 21, we'll look at them both. It's going to be, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he talks about the father, and he says, um, for, for the fathers, do not exasperate your children, so they won't become discouraged. So they won't become discouraged. And so Paul provides instruction for this Christian household covering matters pleasing obedience by the children and parental instruction and discipline. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the next few moments that we have to talk about parenting issues. And we thank you that you address them here and that you provide a reason and, and everything for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, when I was watching that video, the, the thing that stands out in my mind was the girl asking the question, why? And the mom saying, now, how many of you, good parents, have had your child, you tell them to do something, and they, they say, why? Or you were a child, and you said, why? And the response was, because I said so. Happens all the time, right? And we think, is that a good reason? Is that a good enough reason? We're going to get into that. 
But I want to talk about how Paul addresses the letter. So this letter, as they're uh, receiving it, this would have been read in church. They would have been in the church and they would have read it publicly. And the children would have been in the audience. And as Paul is reading this letter, he comes to the point and he says, children. Now, children, let me explain to you. They were valued in the church. They were valued in the church at that time. The society was telling you, boys are worth something, girls are not. That, that's the way it was. And, and, but Paul, he uses the generic term for children. He doesn't single out boys or girls. He generic, generically says children. And he does it because the early church valued children. And so it was countercultural to what was going on in their day. Back in that day, as the Greco-Roman era, you would have people, you know, wanting to be gladiators, wanting to be, um, you know, different things in life. You had people that were slaves and prostitutes, and having a child was not going to work out. So what would happen a lot of times in that society, unless you were rich, these children, if you're in a certain society class, or if the children were disfigured or um, were not as profitable to have as, say, others, they would take them and put them on a dump heap and just leave them there. Alive and left in the dump. And the early church... They would come in, they would find these babies. They would take them in and would take them and make them a part of their home. And if for some reason, when by the time they found the children, if those children died, they would bury them and they would take care of them and meet all their needs until they finally died. The early church cared about children. They valued children. They cared about them. And this past week, we had the March for Life. And it, 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 it brought a fresh breath air to me to see uh, the leader of our country attend it and say, I value life. You might not agree with him, but for the leader of the free world to stand up at a rally like this, to stand with what the early church was teaching and say, I value life means a lot because the early church valued it the early church appreciated and they did everything they could because they understood what jesus taught in matthew 19 14 there is this story uh, that we see where these children are coming to jesus these parents are bringing these young children to jesus to get healed these infants the disciples would say, no, you can't bring them to him. Don't, don't bring them to him. And Jesus says that leave the children alone. Don't try to keep them from coming to me. Because the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. Children were valued by the early church. Going against the culture, going against the norm. John Stott says that it was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire, in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones were killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a partial nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. Tertullian says that the Christians sought out the tiny baby, bodies of the newborn babies from the refuse and dung heaps and raised them as their own or tended to them before they died and gave them a decent burial. Let me just read you some statistics. In our society, 80% of African-American children in the U.S. are being raised apart from biological fathers. 60% of the Hispanic and 50% of white children are all in the same situation. Many kids have fathers or mothers living, but they are nowhere to be found. And we live in an age 
where children need help. And I believe we should have the mindset of this early church and value children. You know, there's plenty of you that have raised children and you are doing your own thing now. Let me challenge you. You don't have to be done. There's such thing as fostering. There's such thing as adopting children. There's plenty of children out there that need help. And one of the arguments for abortion is, well, we can't have all these kids because who's going to take care of them? The church has been silent long enough on this issue. And she needs to stand up and take, take, take control of the situation like the early church and say, we will take the children. We will raise them up because they are valued by God. And we will take part in that. And the moment we do that, I believe you will see a shift in everything because the church will become what God has called it to be and intended to be, a refuge for those that are helpless and those that are hurting. And so, you know, when we look at society in that day, children weren't viewed at as anything more than nuisance most of the time. But God values them. And in turn, we should value them. When I was at Liberty University, we had a place for, that Thomas Road had developed called the Liberty Godparent Home. These young girls that would get pregnant would come into this home. The Liberty Godparent Home, they would pay for everything. They would take care of all the expenses for that young lady. They would come in and they would help that young, young woman adopt that child out to a family that wanted to adopt it and help that young lady learn skills or a trade to help her life once she got out of there. These are things the church should be doing. And yet, in general, we're not. Not just this church, but, but most churches. I think we need to rethink how we reach out to these people. But in that, in that, he does say something to the children. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. He says, obey your parents. Go back to verse 20 for me. He says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The parallel passage is in Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. Let me read that for you. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. It's a parallel passage, and so you can use both of these together to kind of get what he's saying because he's summarizing in this one, and this one he gives a more complete um, uh, statement. But he's still addressing the same issue. And children were made to glorify God. Children, you were made by God to glorify him. And so he comes to, these, to this, obey your parents. How should children obey their parents? Children obey their parents by hearing what the parents are telling them to do and do it. Now, how many of you, if you're like me, you tell your kids to do something, what do they do? They don't do it sometimes, right? They run off, they do their own thing sometimes, and it takes a little bit of work. And, and, and that's true. And sometimes we have to fight to get the hearing out. And sometimes when they fail, they need to remind it that Jesus died for them. When your children fail you, when your children don't obey you, it's a great time to remind them that Jesus died for you, a sinner. You're not obeying me, and you're sinning. You've, you, you've just sinned against God himself. It's a great reminder for us as parents to teach them that. To let them know that their disobedience is wrong. And, and so when children ask the question, why do I need to obey you? And we say, what? Because I said so. I want to give you some things to say other than that. Can I do that for you? How many of you are grandparents and you say, I'll take this advice and give it to my kids? <laughs> okay, I got, I got some takers. All right. So when your, parent, when your kids come to you and they say, why should I obey you? I want to give you about five things real quick, just real quick off the top of my head. Well, they're in my notes and not off the top of my head. But I did think of them and wrote them down. 
it's right because it's a partial fulfillment of the fifth commandment. God says to honor your parents. And, And with that, he did give the promise of a long life. So you can say, kids, if you don't want to die at an early age, (laughs) you listen to me. No, but there is a connection to a promise of you obey me, God rewards that. Second, It pleases God. He tells us in that one verse right there, in verse 20, that it's pleasing to God to obey him. Third, God promises in Ephesians 6, 3 that there'll be a blessing for you to be obedient to you. It says that, that that it will go well with you. Children, obey your parents because it's going to go well. Your life will go better for you. Obey your parents because parents have value and wisdom in life that they have lived and and children can learn from them. Now, I I want to go back to the word children. The word children here does not mean just a little child. The word that Paul uses for children is generic, but also is expanding. It is not just meaning young children. It means adult children as well. So some of you adult children that are in here, your parents have probably said something to you. And you're like, you're just getting old now. I don't think I need to listen to it. I'm my own person. You still take their advice because they have learned so much over the years. They have made so many mistakes over these years that you don't have to make. You, we learn by experience and they're sharing their experiences in life or they've seen people mess up and they're like, Don't do this because this can happen to you. And so listen to them, even when you're older like me. Four, proper instruction can be a key to a prosperous life. Proverbs 1, 8, 9 says, listen, my son. I believe I have it up there if you guys can go to it. Proverbs. Go to the passage. That's not the right one. 1, 8, and 9. Okay, there it goes. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instructions and don't reject your mother's teachings for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. He's basically saying you listen to him and you're going to find favor in life. You're going you're gonna to have like this garland of favor and these pendants that are on you, meaning you're going to be prosperous in life. You will, it's, your life is going to be much better if you listen and obey your parents because you'll learn. You'll be able to do things and not make as many mistakes. And fifth, the last one, is by obeying your parents, you are obeying God. You're learning to obey God. When you're older and your parents aren't around telling you what to do, but God is sitting there telling you what to do, you have built up this obedience to your parents, knowing that you're being obedient to God. Now you're like, I'm on my own. I have to trust and obey God. Now, if you're a young child and you rebelled against your parents, do you think you're going to start obeying God? No, it doesn't work that way. The obedience is built up through your parents. And it starts at an early age. And so when you become obedient to them, you're learning to obey God. And parents, you tell them that. You tell them, it's not because I said so, because God says so, because he wants you to obey him. God teaches you obedience through me. And I want you to obey me so that you'll learn to obey God one day. When life is hard, when you don't have anybody to rely on but him, I want you to learn to obey him when all else is out the window. When I'm gone and I'm not here, the principles that I've taught you in life, you'll be able to keep because you've learned to obey me and now you can obey God. Because God the same principles apply to God. You'll be a, 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 your, your life will live much better. Things will be better for you in life. And you'll be prosper, more prosperous in life by obeying him. And, and so parents, take those home. Did you write them down? Anybody write them down? Good. <sighs> take them, write them down, use them. Just don't say because I said so. And I'll probably make that mistake today. I'll tell them. <laughs> Matthew, Kristen, because I said so. Now, parents, he does get into parents now. In verses um, 
in verse 21, he gets into the father. Now, in verse 20, he uses the term parents genetically, generically, meaning both parents. But in in 21, we use the term father, but that word in Hebrews, the writer translates as parents. So he could have used the word parent here. But in our Bibles, most of them translated it as father. And that's because of what we had just seen with the previous uh, verses dealing with the mother and, and husband. And so fathers in that day, like I told you last week, they were the head of the house. They had total control of everything. They were the responsible one in the family. They were the ones when they said something, it was done. They could take the children out. They could throw them out in the garbage heap. They could do whatever they wanted. And so he explicitly uses uh, the term generically as, as, as parents, but because of the context, they use fathers. And he gives them a warning. He says, do not exasperate your children. And, and, and in my notes, I put infuriate. Do not infuriate your children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children but bring them up in the training and instruction of the, in, in, in the Lord. And so we have to think about it. Are we cautious or, or, or cautious about how we deal with our children? And are we conscious about the time that we spend with them? Are we doing things that infuriate them? When we give them a command and we ask them to do something, are we doing it in a way that infuriates them, that makes them angry? And when we're correcting them, are we driving them away by making them angry? And and Paul gives us that warning. Don't do that. Don't infuriate your children so they'll become discouraged, so so that they will not obey even. When I think about um, just spending time with children, trying to get to know my children and love them so that when I do correct them, when I do um, have to discipline them, they'll know me better. They'll understand me and they'll see a different side of me because they don't want to always see angry dad. They want to see happy dad sometimes and, and they want to see playful dad and playful mom and happy mom and they want to see different things and these are things that we have to work on as parents and, and I, I speak from my own personal experience. You know, I tried to spend time with my children. Last night, Matthew, he wanted to build a Star Wars set that I had gotten for Christmas. I didn't want to put it together. Matthew's like, let's put together this puzzle, this Lego set that you got. I said, okay. So I put it together with him. I sat down for about two hours just finding all these little pieces, trying to work with him, to spend time with him so that he knows that I love him. So that when I tell him to do something, he'll understand that My dad doesn't hate me. My dad isn't callous towards me. But there's a deeper meaning why he's telling me to do something. I want him to know me. You know, my daughter, I take her to the the daddy-daughter dance, and we got one coming up. I, I love spending time with my daughter because she loves mommy and daddy's okay. That's the way it works right now. She, matter of fact, my daughter loves Mrs. Morgan more than she loves me. I'll go to the school, she'll run and hug Mrs. Morgan, she'll look at me, yeah, no, no she'll hug me, she'll hug me, and, 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 but my daughter needs to know I love her, she needs to know how she should be treated by a man, and she needs to know that I'm her father, and when I ask her to do something, she should do it. And one of the ways that that happens is by me going to these daddy-daughter dances, making a fool out of myself, looking crazy, being, being, being the widest person in the room, and, and just acting goofy with her. You know, I have no dance in me. I have nothing in me. You know, if you threw oil, I might would dance better. Throw oil on a slide, through the electric slide or something. My daughter, she can dance. She can do all that stuff. She's doing acrobats right now, and it's just crazy watching her do stuff. I mean, she's like laying on the floor right now, lifting herself up off, off her back and doing this bridge. And, and we let her take these classes because we want her to know that we love her. 
and that when, when time does come to correct, that we don't exasperate them. And Jackson, you know, he's, he's a little dude. He, he loves to run and play, but one of the things that he really enjoys doing is going to what he calls Red Robin Friday. So on Fridays, me and Leanne will take him out to lunch by ourselves, and we'll just have lunch together with Jackson, and we call it Red Robin Friday. And so he'll tell his brother and sister, we went to Red Robin Friday. And you ought to see the reaction that Matthew and Kristen give. That's no fair. He gets to go do that. I said, well, you got to go to school. <laughs> I don't like school. That's what, that's what Kristen said to me on Friday. And, I mean, it's a funny thing. I was saying, in, you know, with Kristen taking her to bed um, a couple of a week ago, or about a week and a half ago, and we were just, you know, I was sitting there with her in her bed, putting her to bed. And she was like, hey, I love you. And I was like, yeah, I love you too. And she was talking to me, and she said something striking to me. She says, Daddy, you're the boss. And I looked at her, and I thought, well, this took a long time to get to this point. I said... <laughs> Why do you think I'm the boss? She said, well, because somebody told me you're the boss. My, and, and mommy says you're the boss. And, and you know, I said, Kristen, that's good for you to think that. I said, I'm really not the boss. I'm your parent, and I, I'm trying to instruct you and teach you. But if you want to think of me as the boss, go ahead. <laughs> and so we do that to try to teach our kids to build a relationship with them because it, you just can't tell kids what to do without having a relationship. Even as your age, even at your age on some of you, when you're older and your children are adult, you really don't have the right to tell them what to do if you don't have a relationship with them. You've lost it. So if you want them to listen and obey you or to listen to your advice, Work on that relationship with them so that by you telling them something, it doesn't exasperate them and infuriate them in anger. And then the other part is um, discouraging the child. Discouraging them by the way we talk to them, by the way we act towards them. Ephesians 6, 4, Paul adds to the point uh, of, of discipleship, and I want to get into that in a second. But here's some things that I found that you can infuriate your children. The ancients, I told you, had absolute control over whatever um, the kids did, and they were harsh with their kids. But here's some things that we can do that infuriates our kids. Failing to take into account the fact that they're kids. Failing to realize that they're just kids, and they're going to act like it. You see a bunch of them running around here sometimes. They're acting like a child. They're doing what a child does. Some of us be like, you got to stop running, stop running. You're, you're going to tear the house down. You're going to... They're kids. They're acting like kids. Comparing them to others. Oh, this happens a lot. You go to restaurants and you see your child just jumping over the seats, but the child over there is not jumping over the seats. Why can't you be like them? How many of you said that to your kids? See, we, there's people that's done it. Or how about even comparing your own children to one another? Why can't you be more like so-and-so? Brian, he's shaking his head. <laughs> Another thing that can cause it. Disciplining them inconsistently. Disciplining your children inconsistently. Develop a consistent way to discipline them. Make it the same. Make it consistent. You know, sometimes we get, you know, I'm going to punish you, and then we retract on that. Oh, they did something good. Well, I'm not going to punish them now. Be consistent. If you're going to punish them, punish them. Let them know why you're punishing them. Let them know you love them in the punishment, and let them know you love them after the punishment. But at least be consistent. Otherwise, if you're not consistent, they're going to think it's not fair. Failing to express approval, even at small accomplishments. We can get so hard sometimes in our discipline with our children that we fail to recognize when they actually accomplish something good. Like when they make good grades in school, or they learn a new skill, or they do something new. You know, it, it, it helps us. It's like, you know, I, my daughter, she's got 
she's got she's had some problems with with her GI system and just trying to figure things out, and she has done a lot better with that. And so every time she's done um, done good, I try to sit there and encourage her and say, "Oh, you have done a great job, man! That is awesome." And, and so she's doing a whole lot better than what she was, and she's gotten better even this weekend. But we encourage that. Failing to express our love to them. There's almost not a day that goes by that I don't tell my children I love them and I hug them and I'll try to kiss them. Sometimes the kiss doesn't always work. They'll be like, Daddy, that's coffee breath. Get away. <laughs> love them. Let your children know you love them. Let, express it with your words. Express it with your actions. Disciplining them for reasons other than willful disobedience and defiance. When you discipline, make sure it is because they are willfully defying you and disobeying your orders. Don't just discipline them because you want to. Make sure there is a good reason for it. Pressuring them to pursue our goals and not their own. You know, some of you guys... You want your kids to be something they're never going to be. And, and, and I have to check myself out. And I, I try to tell my kids, you be whatever God wants you to be. Don't be anything I tell you to be. Be what you want to be. And that's hard sometimes when I see Jackson running around. I look at him, I'm thinking, that's a million dollar right there playing running back or quarterback for some NFL team. I mean, you should see him run and jump. And he, he, could, he could take out Matthew. But we need to let them be who God wants them to be and not what we want them to be. We can have goals for them and help them set goals, but we don't need to pressure them to achieve our goals. We need to let them be who they are going to be and pray that God directs their heart, because he will, but that they listen. And we are influential in that. But let them be who they're going to be. Giving them wise advice through the years. And then withdrawing love from them or overprotecting them. You can cause your child to become um, discouraged through those ways. And so Ephesians 6, 4, he, he pulls the point back to the fathers and he brings up the point of, dis, uh, of discipleship. And, and he brings them back to, to the discipleship's instructions because in Ephesians 6, 4, he talks about training and instructing of the Lord. And that is the job of the parents to not just teach their kids to obey right and wrong, but to actually train and instruct them, to teach them what it means to be a man or woman of God, to help them understand their role in life with God and how to be obedient to him. And I'm not going to get into all my notes here because I've got a lot of notes on this. But I want to give you a piece of advice, the best advice I can give you in raising your children. And remember this, remember this, the best advice I can give you is give them Jesus. Give your children a Christ-centered instruction as you walk with them, drive with them, and take them places. Let them know who Jesus Christ is and teach them about Jesus Christ every day. Because it's going to affect them. My children know who God is. They know who Jesus is. Hey, Jackson, he even prays at the table when we go to Red Robin Friday. He'll pray. It all comes because you hit them with Jesus Christ. And you keep it over and over and in front of them. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And our lives and sharing it with our children is the first place you need to share Jesus Christ. If you haven't ever shared Jesus Christ with your children, that's where you need to start at. Sharing Jesus with them. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your brief words on children and fathers in this Colossian passage of how the importance you saw in children in the early church and how even in Jesus' life, he modeled the love for children. And the importance of children obeying their parents, as long as the commands are from you, and they're not asking them to do anything against your will. 
And then, Father, the blessings that come from just being obedient to your parents and then the responsibility of the fathers. I pray, Father, that we will take all this in, that we will use these principles, these things that, that, that we've mentioned this morning. And let's understand that it's not just fathers, but it's mothers, too, that have a hand in raising the children and that, that, that we work together to instruct them about you and to bring them to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you will, go ahead and stand up. for being here. Remember, the revival will be coming up. We'll have a wild game dinner as well, so invite your friends. If you're going to the wild game dinner, remember to RSVP us so that we know how many people are coming. We are kind of limited on space, so we can only hold about 300 in here, so if you know, I'd love to see that many, but if we don't have that many, you know, that's fine, but be sure to RSVP to let us know that you are coming. You can do that through email. If you go on Facebook, we have a link there that you can send an email in to let us know, and then be here the 9th, 10th, and 11th. We got the services all planned out. It'll be a great thing, and you guys will love it. Uh, I think you'll love the speaker, and you'll love the music. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your words this morning, and just the the, the, the words that you told us about children and your love for them and how we can be um, better parents even. We thank you, God, for loving us and everything you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>